Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, hey, VA fam. Hope you guys are having a wonderful holiday season. It's Mandy here again with another special look back at one of our best episodes of 2021. This episode features special guest co-host and friend of mine, Chris Browning. He's the host of the popular business and finance podcast, Popcorn Finance. And in this episode, Chris gave us a memorable lesson in how to take control of your money and build your wealth. From teaching us how to get past survival mode to learning all new financial rules, Chris can break down everything about finance and the time it takes to literally make a bag of popcorn. Y'all enjoy this episode and... Happy, happy holiday season and a very happy new year from Mandy and the entire Brown Ambition team. Hey, 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 it is Mandra, and I am joined this week, very special. This is the kickoff of our summer co-host series, and our first summer co-host is Chris Browning from Popcorn Finance. Hey, Chris. (laughs) Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be joining you. I'm excited, too. I feel like we have had these tandem podcasting journeys, and it wasn't until not that long ago that we actually connected one-on-one to get to know each other a little bit. Yeah, I think the pandemic made a lot of uh, Zoom meetings possible because we're all at home anyways. It did. And remember <laughs> how our first call, I think it was maybe three, like I, I set up a call with you and then it was back before I had childcare. And I think you had to endure maybe 15 minutes of a screaming child <laughs> before I finally gave up and put you out of your misery and myself. And I was like, <laughs> let's do this again. And then maybe three months went by and I was like, I finally have childcare. Let's talk. Let's do it. <laughs> so... Yeah, no, I understood. I, I was like, hey, you I, you can put me on hold and call me back later. It's fine. I understood. <laughs> Such a gentleman. Well, let's talk about Popcorn Finance. For the folks who don't know Popcorn Finance, which is your podcast, it's been around for four years now, right? You also yeah. have another podcast, No, because one is not enough. I don't know how you do two. <laughs> your other podcast is called This is Awkward. Talk to the folks and tell them why they should listen. Uh, yeah, well, thank you for, for the, the introduction there. Uh, yeah, so Popcorn Finance, it'll be four years at the end of June, which is crazy. I never would have uh, thought it would be going on this long. But it is a, a short form podcast where I talk about finance and about the time it takes to make popcorn. So that's where the name of the show comes from. It's like short form. I try to keep the episodes under 10 minutes and just talk about all things finance, investing, saving, money issues, all that stuff. It's just a place to kind of quickly get into these topics and make it less scary. 
And um, as you mentioned, because I apparently don't like to sleep, I started another podcast <laughs> with a friend of mine, um, Allison from Inspired Budget. We have a show called This Is Awkward. And that one is a little more fun. It's, it's, it's a little more lighthearted. We have people call in and they share with us awkward money situations that they've dealt with. And then we kind of talk through the situation and give our advice on how we would have dealt with it or how we've dealt with similar things in the past. So that's the, the other show I have going on. Oh, I love that. Have you ever had, I think we might have a mutual friend, Broke Millennial, Erin Lowry. Have you ever oh, had yes. her on the show? I have, multiple times. She, she wrote a whole book on awkward money conversations. Uh, y'all got to check out the Broke Millennial series, just a little plug for a pal. <laughs> but, oh God, that, I mean, you guys must have endless, endless material because everything about money is awkward. It really is. It, it really right. opened my eyes to how many of us deal with these situations. And I think sometimes we think it's like just us, like, oh, we're the only ones with a weird family or friends are asking for money. But it's like, no, everybody, <laughs> everybody's dealing nope. with this stuff. I mean, damn, like my family, I'm trying to figure out we're, we're supposed to have a family reunion in, in Atlanta this coming weekend. So it's my first trip with husband and the baby. He's <laughs> I'm like, let's at least. So we're vaccinated now. Things are safer Let's get on a plane. He only rides free for another six months. So I got to take advantage of his free. <laughs> like, he's exactly. still considered an infant, even though he's huge. So he's going to ride for free. We're going to go to Atlanta and it's a family reunion. And that's the only details I was given. But now it's like my dad is on the outs with my aunt and no one will oh, tell me man. what I'm like, what do I need to bring? Uh, <laughs> I need to figure out who to give money to. I don't know how much. And it's <laughs> it's already becoming a, a delightful dramatic situation but whatever i'm just there to eat so um I can- <laughs> <laughs> that's that's you had to go into a family situation just say hey i'm just here for the food whatever other drama's yeah. going on i'm not a part of that do you is your family like into family reunions is that a thing is there a browning family reunion every you know, year somewhere my family's from the south so yep. n- barely anybody is out here in california uh, so uh, i only went to so one we're the same right <laughs> right you just gotta Where separate in the south from are you family. from yeah. Uh, so my dad's from Arkansas. My mom's from Louisiana. Okay, that's real, real southern. Yeah, I'm from Georgia. I'm from <laughs> a, I'm from Atlanta. <laughs> oh yeah, you're from you're from a major city. Where my dad's from, they they got a Walmart, and that's pretty much. Uh, it. <laughs> I was gonna say that is real, real southern. Those two states right there. Yeah, so we're both southern transplants on the coasts. Yeah, so this is a big deal for me to even. And I'm not gonna lie, there's been family reunions that I haven't gone to just because. You know, it was in Georgia and I'm here in New York and it was always an inconvenient time. But this time Mm. after the pandemic, I think it just helped me realize, you know, how important it is. Like my uncles, God bless them. They survived this pandemic. My great uncles, they're all in their 80s and 90s, it feels like. And so it's really just like a celebration of, you know, that side of the family. So I'm excited to, you know, all the drama aside, I'm excited (laughs) to get us together. Yeah. I mean, if anything, the the past year, it kind of does make you appreciate family, especially your older family, because a lot of people don't have family that they had at the start of the pandemic. So it's like, all right, you know, I need to make it more of a point to, you know, see my parents and and be around these people who, you know, you're only gonna be around for so long. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, awkward. I mean, I honestly, I've been thinking a lot about awkward money conversations lately, because for my husband and I, one of the ongoing arguments, I don't know if I'd call it awkward as much as just... (laughs) just a complete difference of opinion about how to spend our money really has has always been for maybe the 90% of our relationship, we have spent arguing back and forth about whether or not to get a Tesla. Oh, Are you familiar that, with Teslas, Chris? 
I'm very familiar with Teslas. I've been I've been stalking Teslas <laughs> for many years. I've not I've not met one and brought one into my home yet, but I've I've been watching yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so is my husband. I mean, this was one of the first huge fights we ever had was when we were uh it was 2016 or something like that. We had moved in with his parents to pay no rent so that we could save up for our wedding. And, you know, and me, I'm the personal finance expert in our relationship, so I like to say. And I'm kind (laughs) of uptight and maybe a tiny bit of a control freak about our whole saving and plan, you know, especially at that time when we were really working hard to, to set something aside and pay for the wedding in cash. And at the time, you could reserve a Tesla. I forget which model it was, like the one, two, three, X, Y, Z, who knows? And... (laughs) I, you know, he said he talked about Teslas, but I just, you know, it's kind of like sports. I just, it just in one ear, out the next. Like, yeah, he's into that thing. <laughs> You're like, then sure. We get a, <laughs> like, yeah, sure. That sounds like a luxury car we could never afford. So why even, <laughs> you know, entertain that? But one day I got the mail and there was this letter in it and it was like, congratulations. We've, we've gotten your thousand dollar commitment <laughs> and you're in line to get a Tesla. And I said, what? (laughs) Oh, man, I was mad. I mean, looking back on it now, a thousand, I mean, it was, it was a lot of money, especially when we were literally just putting ourselves so in such an uncomfortable situation, living with his parents with one bathroom in a teeny tiny apartment with like no air conditioning and the worst summer in New York, you know, we Mm, were struggling. (laughs) And I'm like, but you spent like you put down it not even to get the car just to get in line for the car so that is how far back our tesla you know our our tesla debate has gone or battle i should say and for how many years has it been chris for five six seven years i have held him i have held it at bay i we we got the (laughs) we did the wedding we did the honeymoon we got our house we did the renovation we had a baby we had a pandemic, and finally, I ran out of excuses. <laughs> I ran out of reasons not to get a Tesla. That is what happened, and we took the te- we took our baby Tesla home today from the oh, Tesla, man. the Tesla Cabbage Patch Factory thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, congratulations on the car. I mean, that's that's some patience to to stick it out all of that time <laughs> through all of those life events and just like hold out hope. Man, I know, I know, one day know. that Tesla's gonna make it home. <laughs> he really, I mean, he's the underdog in any like sports and sports movie, except instead of sports, it's like I just really want to get this this Tesla. And the number of people I mean, we haven't told a lot of people, but friends and family who he's told, I mean, everyone knows what it means to him because that is how obsessed this man has been with this car. But he's very consistent. I mean, he literally installed, are you handy? I know you, do you guys have a house? Are you renting? Uh, we're renting. So, I mean, I can, I can only do so much, but I, I can, I can use a power drill. I, I can say I can do that much. Okay. That, that's pretty <laughs> impressive. Well, we were renting, we rented for so long before we got the house and he Literally, he went to the library, took out a book on how to do his own electric, and he has been doing all these little electrical projects. And he actually installed the charging station for the Tesla. Like, he made it himself before he even had a Tesla. Like, he has been manifesting this Tesla for such a long time. And to see his face, it was actually, I was excited too. It's not like I don't like nice things, you know? Like, I love electric vehicles. They're the way of the future, all that stuff. It was, it's a cool car, but it's just so not anything I had ever 
you know, in terms of like my values, it's never, I was never going to spend a lot of money on a car. It just wasn't a part of my personal, I don't know, idea of what my values are when it comes to money. Do you and your, do you and your Mm. wife, do y'all have those types of like stalemates where it's just about your value? My value, for example, I would, I would choose travel over everything. And Enrique was like, I really want this car. And that's where we kind of came to head. Um, So do you guys have any of those big like disagreements? Yeah, I mean, we we definitely have. I mean, I want to say too, but that that's some dedication. He was like just prepping. He was prepping. He he put yes. his own charger in there <laughs> in advance. He just knew it was going to happen. I just man, that's I'm impressed. <laughs> yes. uh, but yeah, we, we we've had those for sure. Like I I think I'm more on your side where I I'm like okay, if I have, I have these financial goals, I'm not doing anything else until I get to where I'm going on this. And yeah. I'm also I'm not a big spender. Like I'll spend occasionally, but I, I don't, it doesn't bother me not to like, you know, say, all right, I'm not going to do this because it costs money and I'll just, I'll be fine. Um, and I think that's where we butted heads because for my wife, she's like, look, well, look, we need, if we need this for the house or we need to do this and it's important, it's worth the money. And I'm like, well, but is it though? Really? Like, is yeah. it really worth the money? Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm kind of liking seeing the savings account actually grow. Is it really yes. worth it? Like I, I can give up a lot just for the satisfaction of seeing that I, I have something in savings. That's uh, what I'm saying. Chris. So we've definitely, what's the money right? there for, if not to just see it, like I exactly. want to see it. I want to feel it. I want to like play and roll around in it digitally. Of course, it's really <laughs> hard to give it up. It's really hard. It is. It almost it almost hurts a little bit. There's been times where stuff has come up and we've had to like yeah. pull a big chunk from the savings. And I feel like yeah. I was physically in pain when I went and pulled the money <laughs> out. Like it, it hurt me. And I was like, maybe I shouldn't care this much. But, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like this. It's like my example of my hard work. Like I, I seeing that balance is like, look, we did that. We made we made it. <laughs> we made it mm-hmm. to this point. And it, it's hard. It's hard to give it up. Yep. That's how I felt. Anytime we've like, we paid off the the last bit of our home renovation um, last summer and it was like a $20,000 hit all at once because we had financed something 0% and which was great for the 18 months we had at 0%, but then you had to, the way the loan, of course, the way the loan worked was that you were never going to pay it off if you just did the minimum payments until the end of that 18 months. And then of, of course, course they, right. yeah, of course. And they have the like deferred interest clause, which basically says, if you leave even one penny left on this loan after this promotional period's over, oh, we're going to pretend like you always paid interest on this huge loan and we're going to attach it. We're going to add it right on top of what's left. So we, you know, had that big kind of lump sum payment that went out and yeah, it's been, but that's always been my excuse. I'm always like, okay, you know, we're going to get this house. That's a big chunk for the down payment. Then the renovation. Okay. Let's get that out of the way. And then I, I literally just ran out of things and (laughs) he's yeah and it's but I have to say as painful as it can be at least it has brought him joy you know I think that's where I was really too stubborn a little bit was and I and I apologize I I really did apologize to him I don't know I just because for him and he really sat down he's like look look it's almost as if you're saying what I value doesn't matter Mm. you know what I value is amazing technology, safe travel, you know, I want to be a part of, you know, clean technology, like this electric vehicle. He, and he's an expert in this car and the company. He's read the damn book, you know, on, uh, on what's his face, the CEO, Elon Musk, like he's read his memoir. He's, he's all in, you know, we even own Tesla stock. 
And he had been saving this past year. He had an investment account, and then he also was putting aside money to save for his Tesla. So, and he's like, honestly, it's starting to really get ridiculous, the fact that you're not willing to budge here. And, but yeah, I was just so single-minded and I, it, it feels good to just like get over myself a little bit and have some damn fun with the money that we've, you know, worked so hard for. You know, it's one of those things where you kind of can get tunnel vision almost and you just forget that there is some enjoyment that comes with enjoying the money that you've worked hard to earn. Yeah. And you kind of just, I don't know. And especially like, I think too, for me, it was hard seeing from my wife's point of view, the things that she values that sometimes, you know, if it does cost money, it's, it's worth it because it's meaningful. It has, it, it brings joy. It, it adds to your life, to her life, having these things. And it's not just, Oh, you know, um, I just want to spend money. It's like, no, these are things I value doing. And just because I don't value them doesn't make them valuable to some woman else. And that's, it's hard to, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around that. I mean, what's your guilty pleasure? Don't you have like a tiny house addiction? <laughs> I Are do, you just going to come home with a tiny house one day? <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I could, if it wasn't so hard in California, I might have bought one at this point. I would say I don't, that's the thing. I don't really buy too many things, but technology is probably my my weakness when it comes to like gadgets and devices and computers and tablets and microphones, things like that. But I kind of can hide that behind the podcast. So I think that's how I convince myself. Well, I'm not really spending, <laughs> you know, that's not the right off. yeah, this is a business expense. Right. But, but that is for sure. My, uh, my weakness is like anything that connects to the internet. Um, I'm, I'm eyeing. Yeah. I'm, I told them, I was like, I feel like a real hypocrite when I start thinking about all the money we spent on Broadway <laughs> and I mean, the things that I've enjoyed doing vacations and stuff. And he's like, can I have something? So we got, and you know what? The Tesla purchase, I have to say, was made possible in part by this crazy, ridiculous economy that we have right now that has somehow made used cars more valuable than they were a year ago, which is insane. It so really we actually, is. yeah, we ended up selling our, um, we had a 2016 uh, Mazda, uh, some CX five, I think we ended up listing that on uh, Facebook marketplace uh, to sell it. And kind of, we weren't necessarily going to sell it, but when we actually looked at what we could get for it, I think Enrique, my husband, he had checked a year ago and saw that the car was valued at $13,000 on the resale market today. It's valued at, it was valued at $16,000 or at least that's what we sold it for. That makes no sense. It's cray cray. It no and sense we, at all. We bought it for nineteen thousand like five years ago. You know that's just not a thing that cars do. I thought so. By selling it, we definitely were able to eat away some of the cost of upfront cost of the Tesla, and you know that felt good and kind of take advantage of this topsy turvy economy right now. Yeah, you know, funny enough, I had a friend yesterday. I met up with him for the first time since the pandemic started. And we were talking about the used car market. And I had told him, yeah, my car, I bought a, a used car. It was a 2014 Hyundai. It, I bought it in 2017. No, sorry, 2019 I bought it. And it all. It, I bought it for 21000 and it's now worth 19500 And I've had this car for three years. And he's like, you just need to sell it. And I was like, but then I got to buy another car. But he's then like, you got to buy another car, yep. <laughs> but he's re- he was really pushing me. He's like, well, just buy a new car then. I was like, well, hey, it's easy for you to make decisions with my money. But I'm, I, he, <laughs> he's really getting into my yeah. head now. I'm like, well, I don't know. Because, I mean, I'm not going to lie that I have not also been looking at Teslas. I mean. That's the thing. I mean, if this is the rationale. And, and believe me, we were just at a friend's house yesterday. And Enrique has now become that friend at the cookout who had 
a really lucky set of circumstances happen and he's like ready to tell everybody to follow in his footsteps. <laughs> Listen, don't be that person at the cookout. Not everybody like can do the things that worked out specifically for you and your situation. But he's like, yeah, you should sell your car, you know, to, to our cousin, sell your car and then you can get enough something else. But the other thing is like, do you own that car outright or do you still have a loan on it? That's the thing. It's completely paid off and it's been paid off for a year now. Oh, yeah. Well, then, see, our car was paid off, too. And that's where that's really where you can get the value. So if you have a lien on your car, so if you own or sorry, if you owe anything on a loan or you're still financing it, it's really tricky to then try and sell that car. It's especially if you do it yourself, like as a private seller, um, I guess you have to like pay the loan back and then get the title and then sell it to someone else. But that's a, you know, may not be something that someone's willing to to do. But for us, it it really did make sense to just go ahead and sell it. We owned the title, owned it outright. We could have traded it in. Tesla offered us 14000 But then our financial planner was like, you know what? I really think you guys should post it. I've sold all my cars on Craigslist and I get way more. And sure enough, we got it sold within like 10 hours for 16000 that's that's amazing. And I mean, it just goes to show you, too, like these dealers. I mean, obviously, they're a business, so they're trying to get this car from you as cheap as possible because they know yep. how much more it's worth. You know who bought it from us? A used car dealer. Really? <laughs> so even he's planning to sell it for more than that. I'm like, good, good, good luck, my friend. Good luck. But yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a cray cray world out there. So I guess for y'all, I mean, how close are you to is your rationale like, okay, you know, the car is worth a lot more now. So if I do sell it, I would have more money in the bank for a nicer car, maybe a new car. Is that I mean, how you're feeling? Well, how I, before my friend bombarded me with uh, with this, his argument for why I should sell my car, uh, my, my mind was like, well, look, I don't have a car payment right now. And I'm really liking this. This is the first time in my life I've not had a car payment. It's a good life. It is. And I was like, it's just like, man, there's just so much more money in my bank account. Yeah. Uh, so I've been like hard set on, I'm ne- I'm never selling this car. I'm only going to sell it when it breaks down on the side of the road and I can't get it started again. Uh, but I, he, he was making good arguments. That's the hard part. When your friends make arguments that are actually legit about spending money, it kind of like, start, it started rattling my, my mind a little bit. So I'm, I haven't made any decisions. I'm just trying to forget that he talked to me about this, but I, I it's, it's, it's in the back of my mind. I'm thinking it. I may make a spreadsheet and, and, and run some numbers. Is it because rates are also really low right now? Yeah, I mean that's the thing like too. If you it's were like, to finance it, it would be so cheap to, to so cheap. Uh, finance the difference right now, and it wouldn't even be like I wouldn't even feel guilty about it. Nope, it's but, like free uh, money. Well, I mean, it, our our rate was two point four, um, and we have near perfect credit. I really wanted like a one point nine, but it just wasn't going to happen. Um, mm. I, I think you can get those rates as low if you look at credit unions and stuff. But um, anyway, didn't happen for us. But yeah. That 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 kind of did it for me too. I so now we have a car note for the first time in uh, five years, and I I, I don't love it. But <laughs> but here's the thing, Chris. By not find by we could have paid cash for the whole thing. That's the thing. My and I my planner was like, Mandy, you know what the right you know what the rationale is, right? You can invest that money mm, exactly instead, and you're gonna make more than that little two percent most likely in an investment account. So I'm trying to level up my, I'm trying to go to the next level. You know, there were certain like protective strategies and mindsets that definitely got us where we are today. But like for that next level wealth building, we got to think a little different. We got to like think, think rich, literally. We meaning me and my husband, you know, you do your thing, but. (laughs) 
No, you're right. You're right. Because it's one of those things where it's hard to let yourself like your thinking kind of change. It feels like wrong. It's like, look, I did this. It worked. I should just keep doing this forever. But you're going to like, there's different stages to life. It's different. Everyone's in a different position and something that worked for you, you know, or worked for me five years ago, doesn't mean something different won't work now. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's getting your mind open to changing and thinking about different ways of building wealth and not just I'm like, I don't, I, I find myself being stuck in the, oh, I'm paying off debt mindset that I was in for years and not yeah. in the, hey, now I want to build wealth and, and really look for the future. When you think about building wealth, what does that look like for you? Ooh. You know, for me, I think the first thing that always pops into my mind is freedom mm. and, and having choice and options. And uh, I really like the idea of, of being at a point where it's like, if I want to do something different, like career-wise because i don't know i don't necessarily want to like get to a point like like where i'm younger and i'm not working at all but where i can just choose you know what this is meaningful for me this project or or working with this organization or uh just doing something completely different it's okay because i'm not bound by the need to have to have a certain amount of money because i've already accumulated enough wealth to, to have those that freedom and i think that's just something really like powerful about saying, look, I have choices. Like I can, I can make this decision because I want to not because I'm looking at my bank account and I got, I got obligations in there for me. Yeah. I think for me, it's also, I mean, it's definitely freedom, but I'm trying to be more specific now. I think I've gotten to the point now where it's okay. What's the number, you know, Mm. what is, what's the new goal? I was similar to you, you know, I'm, well now are you a, I consider myself now, I think we're supposed to be like ge- called geriatric millennials now. Here. <laughs> like, that sounds I so bad. <laughs> I know it sounds terrible, but that's like the new thing. Older millennials who've got, you know, we got a little, we, we paid off the student loan debt or it didn't really have that much. And now we've got like kids and a mortgage and all that kind of stuff. Just uh, old fuddy-duddy millennials. <laughs> and for me, it's like, okay, the next step is, you know, get, get, I may be getting a lot more specific and, and like, and you know, the the tried and true rules of thumb that I abided by in the past, I've got to come up with new rules. I got to figure out mm. how do the uber wealthy, how do they operate? And and I need to start being on that level. And it's scary, but it's also kind of, it's exciting. And for me, you know, I don't have a ton of, I don't have any anyone in my family necessarily to look to for tips. I do have a financial planner, but I'm trying to find you know, maybe even like different podcasts or different books I can start reading just to like literally think how the wealthy think. In my mm, mind, I was yeah. like, I want to I want to invest till I have $2 million and I want to be there in, you know, the next five years. And someone was like, why don't you make a million dollars like in a weekend if you learn to trade stocks? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> it does not compute. I don't know. <laughs> but, but people are doing it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting slash uh, really, really intimidating. Yeah, it really is. And I think that's the hard part right now, too, is there's there's so many people in the news making a bunch of money from all these different things going on right now. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's very tempting. I, I'm, I, what I'm finding more and more about myself is I'm very risk averse. I'm, I'm very like, hey, you know what? I, I would like to do some things, but I'm not comfortable <laughs> risking what I've worked so hard uh, to save up. And it, it's a hard mindset shift for me to make. It'd be like, all right, you know what? Maybe I should. I have my emergency fund. I'm investing for retirement. Maybe I should look at other opportunities. But I'm always like, hey, I, <laughs> it took a long time. Let me let me uh, let me slow down on any of these other ideas people are throwing at me. Yeah, just exactly. You're like in the protect phase, which is fine. You know, you want to protect what you've built. 
but we'll see. I mean, you know, not to uh, not to peer pressure you, but the Tesla does ride really, really nice <laughs> <laughs> to oh. Starbucks. <laughs> but you know what? We got caught in a huge traffic jam, and I was like, well, it still gets stuck in traffic just like another car does. So it doesn't have any magical like traffic avoiding properties that would really be valuable to me. I know, but then it can drive itself though. Has your husband like try to like talk about his plans to take a nap while he's like commuting or anything like that? No, I don't <laughs> well, think that that's a feature we're going to be turning on. I don't even know <laughs> if I, I forgot about that. Can it drive itself? I don't know, Chris. I just don't know. I, I had a hard time figuring out how to like turn the air conditioning on earlier, let alone autopilot. That's oh, true. You know baby, that steps. baby steps. Baby steps. Well, it's really fun to have you on the show. Why don't we take a quick break and we'll be right back to answer some of y'all's questions. All right, we are back. And yes, I am joined by the one and only Chris Browning, who is filling some very big budget needs to shoes. How's it going, Chris? How are you feeling so far? I was fine. And now you made me nervous. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm joking. Okay. I should have made you do the hey, hey, hey. Oh, God. Well, we are here to answer your questions. And never fear, even without Tiffany here, we have Chris from Popcorn Finance here to help me tackle y'all's personal finance and career questions. Okay, so we've got some excellent questions from IG. First one comes from listener Lachine. Lachine says, I just found your podcast after buying Tiffany's book, and I'm obsessed. In her book, which is, I will add here, you guys, called Get Good With Money, which you can get at getgoodwithmoney.com. It's an eight-week national, wait, eight-week New York Times bestseller at this point. It's insane. Anyway, so Lachine found us through her book. She says, in the book, Tiffany talked about determining if you have a budgeting problem or an income slash earning problem. And I think I have an earning problem and I wanted to get y'all's opinion. I make $50,000 a year after taxes and insurance and my retirement uh, retirement savings, I'm left with about $2,900 per month. I can comfortably pay my bills, save for travel and add money to my IRA, but that's about it. I want to save more, but there's nowhere else in my budget I feel like I can slice and dice. What do you guys think? So what's your take on like a budget versus an income problem, Chris? Ooh, I, 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 this is a great question here. And I think sometimes we do get trapped in the, okay, let's let's budget, let's cut, and let's, let's save where we can, which is good to go through and evaluate your budget and see where you're maybe wasting money. Uh, but the only thing is you can only cut so much. If you've already, you know, got your stuff under control and you're really diligent with how you spend, you're going to get to a point where you just can't cut anything else. And if you want to increase your or increase the money you have available to invest and do other things with, yeah, you you have to make more, which is it's it's much harder than cutting, uh, but it's it's way more impactful in the long run. Yeah, I mean, if you guys need to hear it here first, although I'm pretty sure we've said it before, you cannot budget your way to wealth building. You can't mm-hmm. do it. You cannot become rich by budgeting. You can get part of the way there. Certainly you can. And it's certainly a good starting point. And you and I think at 
in most levels, you should have at least an idea of what's going in and what's going out and what's left over. That uh, budgeting is amazing, but it ain't going to get you there. And I think, I think it definitely sounds like if you're to the point where you want to put more money away and you just don't have it and you can't literally, you've looked at the budget and you're like, I, what am I going to do? Like live in my car? You can't, yeah. you know, there's nothing else to slice and dice like you say. So it is time to start looking at a couple different things. I am huge about the impact your career. I'm very passionate about the impact that your career choices can have in helping you accumulate wealth. And I'm also huge on looking for additional income streams on top of, you know, outside of your nine to five job or whatever work you happen to do so that you diversify the income streams that you have. After a year like this, it certainly feels like a lot of people were turning to side hobbies or side hustles, as they say, you know, you're starting their own businesses mm -hmm. to bring in extra money because it was a real kick in the ass, you know, to realize how vulnerable we all were, especially those of us who were tied to a nine to five job that either you had layoffs or cut back hours. I mean, it all felt very like scary and uh, a good reminder about the importance of having those different income streams. So, I mean, Chris, both and I, you and I both have podcasts. You know, I don't think either of us is rolling in the dough from the podcast life, <laughs> <laughs> but especially not if you're getting all the upgraded equipment that it sounds like you're accumulating, but was, you know, talk about like the podcast and what other, what do you, what do you think about different income streams and how someone could, you know, bring in extra wealth? Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm a fan of, of doing other things and building other streams of income and businesses and just things you own on, on your own, because one, I just enjoy the process of making something and having it something that I've created. It's just it's just a cool experience. It just I don't know. It makes you feel good. Like, look, I've, I've made this thing. I've put my time and sweat into this and, and it's here. So I'm definitely for finding things that you're, you're passionate about, uh, that you enjoy doing, that you see an opportunity to have a viable business doing and, and pursuing those. Because, like you said, you know, uh, jobs are secure until they're not and, until something happens where they need to move on from you. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, th things could change overnight. Uh, but but just like you, uh, I, I'm a huge fan of of growing within your career. Uh, that was one of the biggest things that helped us get out of debt. I, when we when my wife and I kind of got serious about our finances, uh, we had about twenty seven thousand dollars in credit card debt. And we were taking home like forty five thousand dollars between the two of us, oh, which wow. was not it's not enough money and not especially not in Southern California. It is not. How did you do that? <laughs> It, wow. it, was, it, it was rough. We were we were living in a tiny house, in a very small studio uh, for, for several years. And really, we cut we cut our budget down to like nothing. Like we were not having any fun. Like nothing was getting spent that didn't need to be spent. And it still was going so slow. It was it was such a, a long journey. And so for me, that's what I, I went and I looked at, OK, this is how much I'm making. I think at the time I, I, I forgot how much I was making by myself, but it wasn't, it clearly wasn't a lot. What, what do I need to do? And so that's when I started saying, all right, what professional organizations can I join? I started joining these different uh, groups for bookkeepers and I would go to conferences and I would help organize the speakers and then I would meet other people from other places and uh, I would find out about new openings and, and build up my resume. So that when I applied for the next job, it's like, oh, you did all of this? Like, oh yeah, you know, you can just kind of pump yourself up. And so yeah. doing things like that, it allowed me to increase my income so much faster than if I would have just stayed at my one job and hoped for a, a, a nice raise, which wasn't going to come. What were you doing at the time your backgrounds in accounting uh yeah like accounting and bookkeeping work so at the time i was a payroll supervisor i was running a payroll department um at a school district actually and um so you're managing was, paychecks and trying to get a bigger one 
the e- exactly. Same time. <laughs> I was thinking everyone who was making more money than me and be like, all right, I need to do something about this. That's got to be really depressing. <laughs> <laughs> it really or is. aspirational. <laughs> you know, when you see some of those paychecks, you're like, I don't know what these people are doing right now, but I need to make some changes and, and get one of these because <laughs> it's way more it's than I'm pretty- getting. You know, it's bad if you're like jealous of a, like a, I don't know what kind of school teachers these were, but uh, I'm feeling like a, a middle school math teacher is making more. It's like, oh, okay. It's time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, cause we all know teachers aren't paid that well. And I was uh, getting paid a lot less than the majority of teachers. That's a crime. Yeah. I've, I love that. You know, I was recently celebrating with my husband because we've really been focused on increasing our net worth. And we, we we did the math with our planner and realized that we have increased our net worth by tenfold in the last five years. Wow. And I was I was sitting down and I'm we're gonna do, I'm gonna do a, a specific show about it. But as I was sitting through and working through, you know, how did we do this? I'll tell you one thing. It wasn't by budgeting. The mm. most significant the, the the biggest reasons and I part of me almost feels a little or used to feel a little um not ashamed, but I think people want to hear that we just pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps and, you know, we coupon clipped and we mm. and we uh, we were good people and we just worked real hard. They want to hear that kind of story. But the truth is, was that I was super ruthless with <laughs> pursuing <laughs> new opportunities when two things were true, when I could earn significantly more and when I could challenge myself professionally. So when I could, mm. when I was offered... When I was offered, I was in other jobs. And when I was offered opportunities to move to a different company, as long as the opportunity was professionally rich, like I could, I was learning a new skill, I was getting to try a new position or something like that, and it came with additional income, I was definitely willing to take it. And I was very risky with some of my career choices. And they could have gone the other way entirely, you know, without, mm, with yeah. risk comes rewards or you know, disaster. But it was because of those choices, I was able to negotiate, you know, 30%, 50% raises, equity in companies that I was joining, which opened me up to even additional opportunities to, to build wealth as long as that stock price in that company went up, which I was fortunate enough to have that happen sometimes. So like, those are the types of things that, um, that I'm, I'm ready to just be honest about it, because there's no shame in it. In fact, I had to do it. I, I'm a black woman in America, yo. Like, we don't make that much money. We yeah. make 60% of what a, a white man earns. So for me, I just always thought about when I went into like a salary negotiation or when I was approached by a competitor or a different company to come work for them, I really looked at that as an opportunity. It's often the best opportunity you can get to negotiate a higher salary. And staying at the same place for a long time it ain't it, y'all. It is not no. it in terms of in terms of salary growth, especially if you came in entry level. That is not the way to increase your income unless I mean, you can stay there if you love your job, but then you got to start side hustling on, you know, get a side business or take a hobby and, and start bringing in cash, you know, on on top of your earnings, but loyalty does not pay in corporate America. It doesn't. I'm proof of that. I really had to make those big, scary leaps to get to where I am today, to get those bigger paydays. No, I mean, it, it, I, I love that so much because I've I've seen it where 
uh, it was a situation. I no no one. I won't name the place so no one can figure out <laughs> who I'm talking about. But there, there was a place I y'all leave at. Chris alone. Don't get him. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't get don't him go, in trouble. Don't get me in trouble, please. Don't go research this place. But I was working at this place. There was a woman there. She was amazing at her job. She was amazing, and she just wanted. She I don't even think she was asking for a raise. She just wanted a better title than what she had. And they were like, no, we can't do that. I'm sorry. Like, it was something so easy. They were like, no, we can't do that. But we, but you're great. So she's like, you know what? All right, I'm out of here. So she left, got a better job, got the title she wanted, and got a pay raise. The person they brought in to replace her, they gave the title that that, that she wanted and more money. Ugh. And it was like, they could have done it all along. But it was just like, well, they, they think we have you here. You're not mm-hmm. going to leave. So we're not going to do anything. And that's yeah. where you like, I mean, I agree with you 100%. That's, that's the only way you're going to make these significant leaps sometimes is to, to find better opportunities outside of where you are, because they're, they have no incentive to make your pay jump significantly. And you may think that they are the nicest people, you know, they've come to your housewarming parties. They gave you a nice little gift when you had a baby or you got <laughs> married. It does like, they're not go, it takes a lot of effort. I was that manager who really fought for raises and promotions for my people when I didn't have to, because mm. I wanted to retain them. I, and there were plenty of people who just don't do that because it takes a lot of time. It takes effort. You got to like do your research. You got to bat for people. It's just not in a lot of people's best interest to, to go to bat for folks that's work. So yeah, I love that example. I mean, I hate it, but it's a really good example of what we're talking about here. Loyalty does not pay Mm y'all. But I want to talk a bit about, before we get to the next question about starting a new business. Like I literally, I'm at a point where I just started a new business. Hello guys. I'm the, I'm the CEO and founder of Mandy Money Media, which is a uh, independent content consulting firm and <laughs> editing and writing business. Yay. Do I get some kind of like, thanks, you know, doing my own thing after a long, well, like a decade of experience. I'm, I'm striking out on my own. And what's so fun for me has been doing these things like I filed for an LLC. It's shockingly easy to do this, y'all. You just need a little <laughs> bit of money and like Google, like just had a Google. If you go to your state's Department of Labor website or just Google your state LLC, it'll have a very easy to fill out form, pick your name, give them your little coins. I had it within minutes. I got approved and got my my LLC established. And then it's what, the IRS? Did you, did you do this yet? We get a, a taxpayer uh, or an employee ID number through the oh, IRS.gov. Mm-hmm. And that's such an easy process. And then you don't have to give people so your social easy. security number either. Yeah. I mean, I think I might have to like get it, but yeah, it took, I was, I was shocked. It was instantly, oh, here's your EIN. Here you go. And once I had that EIN, what did I do? I went and got a business bank account, mm-hmm. just did some Googles to find the best one. Although I will say, I don't know if you have a business bank account or credit card yet. Do you? Uh, yeah, I've, I do have the credit card. I've not gone the banking route. I'm still, I mean, I probably shouldn't be saying this out loud, but yeah, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm maybe utilizing some personal accounts as business accounts right now. You know, that's cool. It depends on how you, I, I did learn that, you know, when I was trying to decide whether to do an LLC or work as a sole proprietor, it's very different, like in terms of how, uh, how you can commingle your personal versus professional expenses and things like that. But Definitely. I, I got on the phone with my CPA and he was like, LLC is the way to go. So that's what I did. And um, yeah, but the EIN, it took seconds and the, oh, the business bank account. What I was going to say is I, cause that's, I wanted, to, I'm going to get paid soon, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully soon from clients, <laughs> you know, I'm manifesting it like my husband installing his Tesla charger 
<laughs> five months before he actually had a Tesla. Um, I'm going to get this. I got a bank account through an um, a online bank, and it was kind of hard to find a fee-free business bank account. Seems like a lot of them charge. Um, they either have a, a minimum required balance, which I don't know if I'm going to make. I'm going to make money, but like I can't. I can't commit right now that I'm going to yeah. be making a certain amount. <laughs> yeah. So it took a lot of uh, comparing and contrasting, but I definitely I was able to get one. And you have to have your EIN in order to get one set up. Um, and then I got approved for a personal, uh, sorry, a business credit card, which was exciting. So it's it you can do it and and look I'm a business who you can't tell me nothing I'm a business owner right <laughs> I don't need a storefront like, no. No, I'm doing it's, it it's so different than what people thought of like what people I think we have a much different image in our head of what it takes to to be a business owner it's it's so it's such an easy process these days it really is so I hope that that motivates y'all and inspires you to to look at you know if you if you're like me and you've been doing something for a long time. You know, and you realize you've got a certain set of skills that companies would pay to take advantage of or leverage. You know, that's a way of like, let's say I was still doing my, you know, had a nine to five job. I could I could feasibly do this on the side and just bring in some extra income. And uh, that's the beginning, again, to to true wealth building. So I love that Tiffany covered that in her book. Get good with money dot com. Y'all check out the book. <laughs> I love that she covered that in the book because it really is like. It's the next level from just basic budgeting, really focusing on your income. Yeah, it, it really is such a great idea. And, you know, what I've started to discover, too, is that the bar is actually very low for a lot of what people consider good work. I'm, I'm very shocked. <laughs> <laughs> from what I'm You're seeing. right. <laughs> In my mind, it's like people are like, if, you, if you're going to do something for, the, for a company, it's like it has to be the, the best thing that's ever been made. But I've I've I'm not going <laughs> to again, I'm not going to name any companies, but I've I've witnessed some uh, some businesses doing work that I'm like, that's all it took for you to get paid? Well, I guess I need to step it up and do some, some other things. <laughs> I know. Well, I in my career, I've employed people like myself, and I'm like, I know exactly how much mediocrity there is out there. I'm going to go out there and be the best. And it's not going to be that hard because it's a lot of mediocre. Okay, not to shade anybody. You should, <laughs> but, but it's a really good point. It truly is. And I, yeah, I'm excited about this new journey and Thank you, Lachine, for your question and for checking out our podcast. I love that. Well, let's take one other question. This one is a juicy one because as geriatric millennials, Chris. Um, <laughs> I'm really think, not liking this title. I'm really not yeah, liking yeah. this. As, as old ass millennials, like we <laughs> life insurance is like what we talk about at cookouts now, right? It's what, you know, maybe at my cookouts, we talk a little bit at life, about life insurance, but <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's what our next question is about. So let's get in it. All right, this one's from Anonymous, and they say, my husband and I are getting ready to buy life insurance. We have a three-year-old, a house, we have good jobs, we're working on wealth and building our, uh, or getting our life secure. Do you guys recommend whole or term life insurance? Mm. Mm -hmm. Very sexy, interesting question, (laughs) but an important one. Let's talk about the difference between whole versus term life insurance, Chris. Anything you want to jump into uh yeah so term life is kind of like what it sounds like it's it's good for a set term so you normally say how many years you'd like this policy to be good for so you know 10 20 uh plus years and you typically go with this to you know cover a period of time where you're like hey if something were to happen 
we would definitely need some support for other people in the family who I'm leaving behind. Whereas whole life policy, it's, it's as long as you're still paying your premiums, it's good for your, your whole life. Yep. And is that the kind where you can maybe get some annuities later on where it kind of pays you out in retirement? Well, with the, the whole life policies, you can build up like um like a cash balance almost in it as you put more and more money into these policies. So there are uh, situations where you can pull money out of these these policies or pass them on, just depending on the type of uh, whole life insurance you go with. Gotcha. And this is big business for a lot of financial planners out there, especially if you're working with traditional financial advisors, because a lot of them are in the business of literally selling insurance products to their mm-hmm. customers. Um, and that's why it's important to, to vet your financial advisor. I mean, no shade. I mean, obviously, insurance is a very important product. You want to you want your family to be taken care of if you were to pass away. That's literally what it's for. But uh, because they can be really lucrative, like like especially whole term, whole insurance, like Chris was talking about, like you're talking about someone paying you monthly for their entire life. So that's like a, especially if you're someone who works on commission, that's a oh. cash cow, baby. That's a cash cow. <laughs> so they, like the financial planner is getting an annuity out of you, you know, basically <laughs> <laughs> when you I sign up for whole insurance. Which yeah. Right. And so you, you do have to think about that now. Do you have life insurance, Chris? Like, have you bought a, a policy for you and your your wife outside of what your work might offer you? Uh, so, yeah, we have term life insurance. And I think for the reason you mentioned that, uh, like whole life, there's there's definitely circumstances where people could utilize that and it'd be useful for what they have going on. But oftentimes like those commissions are, are very nice for those whole whole life policies. That's why they often get pushed as an alternative to you investing on your own. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the, for me, that was the deciding factor. So I, I just had a baby too. So like our listener, she has a young child, three years old, my son's 18 months. When I finally had the baby, that's when I was like, oh God, my life matters now. I mean, of course it mattered before, (laughs) but like my, my, my earning, you know, my husband, he's, he's gainfully employed, he's young, but my son, you know, that that was my, my wake up call really to get my own policy. And also a colleague of mine in the past had told me, you know, you really ought to get your own uh, life insurance policy beyond what you're and at the time I was working for an employer and most prov- most employers provide free life insurance or it's like a dollar or two dollars, something like that, because it's not enough coverage to really last the life of your child. And mm. like, for example, I think in the past I've had life insurance through work that's like two hundred thousand dollars and maybe like some short term disability uh, coverage. But you know, I I ended up getting a policy that was valued at a million dollars, and I came to that at the time. It could have been higher. There's a rule of thumb that says to 10x your salary to get your your policy, but I think I was earning like two hundred thousand at the time, so two million dollars seemed like a lot of money. Yeah. So I I was like, okay, let me just start with one, um, see how that goes. But yeah, I ended up doing a a twenty, I think a twenty five-year term? Because for me, it's not just about, it is about, of course, providing a financial windfall for your family so that they can move on without you and still, you know, maintain the same quality of life. But it's also, you know, how likely am I to make it to my, I'm 33 now, how likely am I to live till I'm 60? You know, Mm. or how, how much, how long do I want them to be covered basically. And I figure by the time I'm 60, if I'm still around, they'll, the kids, if I have more than one, they'll be, you know, adults and they'll be able to take care of themselves. And by then I will have like saved, invested for their uh, college expenses or whatnot. So 
I felt very comfortable just doing the 25-year term for for my life insurance for that. And then, like you said, like, you could do the whole life insurance and put a bunch of money away and then have your cash balance. But you could also just do that in a brokerage account and put money away and, and potentially make even more over time to create wealth for yourself. Yeah, exactly. You know, I want to ask you, too, like, so for you and your husband, was that a difficult conversation to have? Because I know people who do not like talking about the possibility of dying. And so that's why they never hmm. look into uh, life insurance. It really you really have to not think about what you're doing. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's very depressing. And yes, and especially, you know, if I would do anything differently, I might have done it before I had the baby, like while I was mm. pregnant or even bef- like a little bit before that. Because I, I do think, you know, if you have a kid, of course, it's very much worth it because you have the child, like I said. And if you don't have a child, then really it's about your spouse. Can they provide for themselves without you, et cetera? But uh, it, it was a very emotional conversation. As soon as I had that baby and my husband saw me as a mother, he w- he became very afraid of me dying. Mm, it was a weird yeah. – and I think – and me too. I became – as a, as a new mom, I was afraid of everybody dying. Like, I was like, he could die. The baby could die. I could die. Life is so fragile. Why are we doing this? <laughs> like, what have we done? There's so much to lose, you know? It is really scary to think about it. Uh, and yeah, it, it wasn't a fun conversation, but it was a really easy process to just go compare some options. You know, a very nice doctor person came to my house because uh, it was the pandemic at that point. Did a house call, did my blood and all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't that if you, if you just forget about why you're doing it um, mm. and pray that, you you know, just 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 do it for peace of mind for your children and then pray you never really have to use it. It's like any insurance product, right? You you hope you don't have to use it, but you're grateful if you, it, it, if it comes in handy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's one of those things like I think people avoid it because, like you said, you kind of go into that spiral of thinking about what happens if you or someone you care about is not here anymore. Yeah. But it's kind of like it's like it's almost one of like the nicest things you can do for the people in your life yes. who, who are part of your family. You're going to end up support, who you so I help support. It's like, look, I don't want them to be you know on the street because I'm not here anymore and everything got too expensive and overwhelming for them. So uh, yep. I, I almost had to reframe it so that way I didn't so you don't get stressed out about it. Yeah, and then you I feel like it's always a plot point in movies like where someone gets killed for their life insurance policy. <laughs> exactly. So it's it's never exactly like the the happy go lucky kind of topic to get brought up. But think about how once the grief, of course, everyone's going to miss you and they'll never, you know, my husband will never find anyone like me. I'll I'll haunt him for life if he even tries. (laughs) But (laughs) at least he'll be able to provide, you know, a good life for our our kid and my dog. And I, and I are, we had a guest on, there's a really good episode of Brown Ambition. Maybe we can find the link to it. Um, where we had a uh, life insurance expert on, and I'm like forgetting on her name. Damn it, what's her name? Anyway, she came on, and, and one of her points was, especially for black and brown communities, if even if you don't have children, consider getting a policy because you can make a nonprofit your beneficiary. Mm. And this is another way of potentially passing down wealth in communities that don't have a lot of, you know, wealthy benefactors, for example. So, you know, even if you're single and you don't have any children, take a life, an insurance policy out, term life insurance. It's really not that terribly expensive, especially if you're younger. And look at it as a way of passing on wealth, you know, to, to a good cause if you were to to pass away. I thought that was a really interesting point that she made. Well, that is such a great idea. I, I, that never even crossed my mind. 
Yeah, that me would, either. That would, be, that would be such a great way to help out a cause. Like if there's no one you need to worry about supporting after you leave, I mean, that'd be a great way to, to help out an organization you care about. Yeah, or just like get one of those cool benches. I've always wondered, like, how do people get those benches in Central Park? You know, I'm always looking like these donors. I'm like, who are these people who are donating are? this money and getting their names on stuff? Like, what's going on? What's this process? They did. <laughs> <laughs> they, they did. That's all you need to know. Okay, they I don't need money. one. <laughs> they had some money and they died. That's what happened, Chris. <laughs> all right. Well, that was fun. See, you're doing it. You're doing it. I'm talking oh, yeah. more to myself than to you. I'm the one who's like, Tiffany, what am I going to do without her? But so far, so good. I know, I'm, I'm definitely not trying to <laughs> to replace Tiffany and live up to those standards because she's she's oh man I won't get into it but yeah she's an amazing speaker I, I always love both of you are I, I I love listening to both of you oh thank you well it's been really wonderful having you on but you're not off the hook yet my friend <laughs> my new financial friend because we have to do our favorite segment second favorite segment after questions brown boost and brown break. I'm not doing any of the musical things that Tiffany usually does either. I'm sorry, y'all. What does she usually do for Brown Boost? Brown Boost, Brown Break, Brown Boost, or Break. What you gonna do, man? She always puts it on me. Whatever she's singing, it always has to rhyme with Mandy so that I'm the one who has to go first, which is fair. Um, I, I will go first. Do you need me to revisit the rules of Brown Boost or Brown Breaking, Chris? Uh, Yeah, that'd be good. Okay, so... Brown Boost, it's really an important choice, okay? It's either like, do we want to leave the show on a high note or do we want to leave the show on a funny slash kind of a down note? So a Brown Boost, we're talking about something that we're excited about that's positive in our lives or careers or finances or whatnot. And then a Brown Break is something that's really been getting us down financially, career-wise, personally. We just want to call out because sometimes it feels good to put a name to something that's bothering you and other people tend to relate to it. Mm. So that is the, the choice. What, which one of those is speaking to you at this particular time? Ooh. I mean, I didn't want to put, end it on a negative note. I can make it less negative, but yeah, I think I'll go with the brown break because that's <laughs> what's bothering me are these people <laughs> talking to me oh, about no. their investment options. <laughs> Invest. Okay, so we're both going to do a break, y'all. Okay, so get ready. It's a double breaker. We don't often have a back to back break. So this is going to be, this is going to be fun. All right, Chris, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, all right. I can, I can hop in here. Do okay, it. so my brown break is. I've been I've been getting more messages than I care to receive uh, from friends who are <laughs> who are investing in all kinds of things in AMC in cryptocurrencies and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, look at how much money I made. And you sure you don't want to get on in on this? And I'm like, no, I don't. I, I really don't want to do this. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I try not to be mean when I get the messages and tell them to stop sending these things to me. But I'm more so nervous for the other people in the group chats because I, I can be like ah oh, whatever i just ignore it and go about my day but i'm like i can see how some of my other friends are like well maybe i need to go and pull some money out of my retirement account and hop in on this this amc <laughs> thing and i'm like please don't do that oh like, god out of your 401k no 
Like, please don't do that. And I'm like, that's the thing. Like, people get caught up in the hype of all of this, and it it can lead to some people making some really quick bad decisions. And so that's why that's why <laughs> that's what I'm choosing for today. Oh God, yeah, I feel you. And especially, I remember the story of my dad. My my dad drives a um, he drives for the public uh, transit service in Atlanta called Marta. And one day he's like, Mandy, one of my passengers was telling me about penny stocks. He lives. Oh, no. He used. He used to be a stockbroker <laughs> in New York, and he's like, "You need to get on these penny stocks because they're worth pennies today, but they can be worth millions tomorrow." And I said, "Dad, you're going to take advice from a, a very nice man, but he used <laughs> to be a stockbroker, and now he's riding your bus, and that's the man <laughs> that you want that you're trying to become." No, 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 no. But if it's not something on the bus, it's like. The guy at the it's the it's the, now I keep using the cookout analogy, but really it is the group text now, group yeah. text or Facebook groups, investing clubs, um, Twitter. You know, like Elon Musk tweets and Bitcoin tanks or soars, whatever. Like people, it's just so crazy out there right now. I don't know how. Listen, I don't I don't feel like I would take investment advice from friends either. But what are what what would get you to maybe like listen to uh, a stock pick from one of those group texts or has any of them ever Ooh. worked out for you from a group text? I, I don't, I don't know if there's anything that any of my friends could do to make me <laughs> take one of their <laughs> pieces of advice, the text message, you know, it, this, this is probably like a trust issue. So I, I had a friend who he was really into like buying and selling shoes when we were younger. He was a sneakerhead, so he would buy he would buy shoes. He would go to these releases, and he's like, "Hey, Chris, you got to do this, man. I'm making so much money doing this." And I was like, "Okay, let me do this." And I went with them, and I bought these shoes. I remember there were these Cinco de Mayo uh, Nikes. They had the Mexican flag on the side. Okay, it's like, yeah, <laughs> very specific. It's very specific. And he's like, "You get this, man. You're gonna be able to flip this." I was like, "Great." Long story short, I did not make any money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't make any money off your Cinco de Mayo sneakers? No. I, I did not. <laughs> and um, I think ever since then, I, I've had trust issues with people giving me random advice through text messages. Uh, but yeah, no, it's like, I don't know. I think for me, you really got to understand something. Like, I'm sure he knew what he was doing and he could flip those shoes and be great. I'm sure some of these people have spent hours studying these, these stocks and, and they, they have good data to back up their decisions, but I don't. And I think that's the part that like, it's, it's, you have to be cautious with like, if you don't feel comfortable, don't just jump into this just because somebody else feels comfortable doing this. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, for me, for you, it was single to Mayo sneakers. For me, it was beanie babies. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting for my millions, uh, aunties and uh, friends at school who told me to get all of them. And we would like spend money. We would protect them at all costs. I think I put one in a time capsule. Like, a, <laughs> you know, I was 13 when when Y2K came along or didn't come along rather. And yeah, I buried my Millennium Beanie Baby, thinking, "Wow, I'm really just like burying my nest egg right now. <laughs> I can dig this up in the after and." Cash it out of the bank. Yeah, no. My mom has a garage full of Beanie Babies still in their protective cases. Oh, no. <laughs> she has. Oh, that's so funny. Well, you know, she better hope. And she's going to hang on to them, I bet. They're not going anywhere. I mean, hey, look, Pokemon cards have for some reason gone wild. Maybe Beanie Babies will circle back around. Dude, my husband was just like, he he just went home to his parents to go try and dig up his whole Pokemon cards. He couldn't find them. He was so mad. 
Let's go hang out with Pokemon cards. I did the same thing. I I, <laughs> I I called my dad. I was like, hey, are those Pokemon cards still in the garage? Because I'm going to need those. <laughs> he could not find them. They were nowhere to be found. I was very disappointed. But the Beanie Babies are okay. Yeah, Beanie Babies. Okay. No, no, they're, they're still on their shelf. They've been on the same shelf for, I think, 10 years. Uh, just sitting there in their nice clear cases. Oh, Lord. All right. Well, <laughs> that's, that's really funny. Okay, so my break is going to be... I'm gonna, it's going to be a big one. I'm going to try not to go on too long. But I, as I said, I'm from the state of Georgia, which has a lot of great things going for it. You know, world of Coke, black people thrive in Atlanta. It's wonderful. We saved the the Senate this year with uh, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock's win in the Senate race. You know, we also saved the election. If you guys don't remember, black women in Atlanta did. We did that. Um, did Thank you. I'm like taking credit. I don't even live there. I don't vote in Georgia anymore. <laughs> Anyway, but Georgia still has a lot of craziness happening, and I couldn't believe this headline, but uh, it's something that I, I wanted to talk about because it's just showing how important local elections are beyond the presidential election. And mm-hmm. I will continue harping on this, y'all, because look at the shenanigans my state is up to. My God. So the Georgia Education Board has passed a resolution just a few days ago to limit the ability of teachers in schools where they educate children who will go out into the world in the future and be citizens in this country, limit them from talking about race and the history of racism in this country. Like that's a, that's a thing that, that the board of education could do. And the governor, Brian Kemp, who, by the way, stole the election from Stacey Abrams a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remember that's, that's, that's Stacey Abrams whole, you know, launch into this fair fight action nonprofit that she's built to to expand voting rights and voting access across the country, but especially in Georgia. Brian Kemp was one of the reasons why. And he himself was the one urging the, the Board of Education to take, quote, immediate steps to ensure that critical race theory and its dangerous ideology do not take root in our state standards and curriculum. And it passed. So... This is, I, wow. uh, I'm just like, uh, I mean, I remember in, in, in school talking about like people getting really fired up about Georgia state flag because it had the Confederate emblem in it and they were going to change it. I remember that being, being really confused by how intensely debated that was in class and stuff. And I was in, I was in class when we were reading Huckleberry Finn and one of my white uh, female classmates asked why can't we say the n-word and she said the n-word like what's wrong with it they say it in the book why can't we say it so as a as a kid who used to be one of the only ones in her class i can't i can't conceive that we could be going backwards like this it's really scary to me and uh i just want to raise awareness of that of this thing that's happening in georgia um and i hope i don't know if there's a way to 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 vote this away or to undo it but it's scary that so simply and easily you can deny children who are supposed to be educated this discussions about this very important, very bloody, very uh, tragic, you know, chapter or book in our nation's history that is still impacting them today. It just it like boggles my mind that this is even happening. I. <sighs> I don't, I don't understand it. I saw, I saw the same article and I mean, it's not like there are, they, they currently were teaching like in-depth 
history of of what was really happening in America over the years. I remember there's so many things I didn't learn about till I was in college or or you just learned about on my own, including like the the Tulsa massacre. Like that was something that people in Oklahoma don't even know about that because uh, they weren't taught about it in school. And it's like to, to then even say we can't even mention the the factual history and the discrimination that's occurred in the state and in the country. It, it's it, it really makes you think like why is this, why is that even possible to to do something like that? Yeah, absolutely. I will give a shout out to a teacher named Tracy Penley. She was named the state teacher of the year, and she unfortunately doesn't have a vote on the on the board despite being state teacher of the year. But she also spoke out against it and says. To say that we're not a racist state flies in the face of all the research that I've been taught and that I've looked at. And it's true. I mean, racism is alive and well in Georgia, despite how mm-hmm. there are so many. It's an amazing, it can be an amazing place to live. And I was, I'm proud to be, have been raised there. But until we can't, we can't become a better state or better country until we're willing to acknowledge these flaws in ourselves. And racism is very much alive and well in Georgia. I don't know what the breakdown is, but I can guarantee you. Georgians made up a fair few number of state rioters at the Capitol back mm. in January. And beyond that, I'm just a person who knows there's freezes people in my home state. And uh, as a mom, like, I'm st- I'm already, like, my son better get ready. I'm going to be investigating all of his textbooks. I'm going to be, <laughs> like, t- where's the chapter on, re- on slavery? What do they talk about? You know, what are their references? And I think it's really important as parents today to just be woke about really engage with what our our children are being taught in school so that we can listen at the end of the day if it, it's definitely easy for obviously boards of education to pass these to sorts of resolutions but it's also easy to take your kid to the library it's also mm-hmm. easy to talk about things at the dinner table that maybe aren't maybe when i was growing up weren't considered polite conversation but we've got to educate ourselves and make sure our kids are educated and thankfully there's a million different ways to get that education and it's it's still really troubling, but I'm at least heartened by the fact that, you know, you have some schools, on the other hand, who are teaching critical race theory and teaching 1619 Project by Nicole Hannah-Jones from the New York Times. Like, so th- there's education out there. We just have to be really, you know, on top of it and just make sure that kids are getting a very, like, realistic and uh, honest, factual telling of our country's history, good and bad. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and and I mean, this this goes back to your point of saying how important these local elections are because these people making the decisions, they really want to keep their jobs. They really want to keep those positions. And if yeah. they're pressed and if their people are vocal about their their dis, like their their displeasure with what they're doing and the decisions they're making, you can vote them out or you can you can put the pressure on them to make different decisions. But if they feel comfortable like they're never going to get pushed out, then they'll continue to make these horrible decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And you can get so mad at an article, but, you know, where were where were you there at the polls when you had a chance to vote? Uh, so, all right. Well, that was definitely a heavy note to end on, Chris. Yeah, but that, that was. <laughs> I had to do it. I had to do it. But listen, this has been such a pleasure having you join the show. I'm so glad that you're out there doing what you're doing. I hope Popcorn Finance, you guys got to go check it out. Subscribe or sorry, you follow it now. On Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah, they I have think. changed the language, haven't they? Yeah, it's following. Follow Popcorn Finance. Leave a review. Go find Chris. He's on all the socials at Popcorn Finance. And then also check out his other show, This Is Awkward. Who is your co-host? Uh, it's Allison. Allison Baggerly. Allison Baggerly. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. Any last words for the BA fam? 
uh, I want to say thank you so much for having me. Uh, Mandy, it was great getting to talk with you on here. And um, you know, I just, I, I appreciate you just letting me join you here uh, while Tiffany's off uh, for a little bit of a break. But it's, it's been so great talking with you and, and all of the audience here. Thank you. You made it less scary for me to be without Tiffany for the first time ever. It feels so crazy <laughs> to do it without her, but this was great. Thank you, Chris. Oh, no, thank you so much. It was great talking with you. Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.